0: Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. It's always good to stand up for what is right and to take a stand for what is right no matter what the cost is. It's always good to, to stay strong in the power of the Lord, especially when you're disappointed in yourself. When you know you, you don't measure up to some of your own expectations for yourself, knowing and being reminded that God's not disappointed in you or me. He knows that we're just dust. He knows that we're weak and frail. One of the things we forget when we're disappointed in ourselves is how far we've come. Look what God has done. Look what he has done throughout the years. We have to remember what God has done and continues to do. That he's not done with you yet.
1: This is amazing grace. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor brings us to John's Gospel for a study in chapter 18. Now, this is a section that records the trials of the Lord. As ridiculous as it sounds, Jesus, the Son of God, was put on trial. Of course, there was no evidence, only accusations of jealous religious men. While it was unfair and unjust, he went through it all so that we might have life in him. Here's Pastor Ed with a message called, Falsely Convicted.
0: For the remaining of our time, let's look at the trials here. We've looked at the two trials now before the Sanhedrin. And I'll explain that to you in a minute. But let's go on in verse 28 to the end of the chapter and find these trials in John 18. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium. It was very early in the morning, but they themselves did not go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled so that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him If he were not an evildoer We would not have delivered him up to you Then Pilate said to them You take him and judge him according to your law Therefore the Jews said to him It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled Which he spoke signifying By what death he would die Then Pilate entered the praetorium again "'called Jesus and said to him, "'Are you the king of the Jews?' "'verse 34. "'Jesus answered him, "'Are you speaking for yourself on this? "'Or did others tell you this about me?' "'And Pilate answered, "'Am I a Jew? "'Your own nation and the chief priests "'have delivered you to me. "'What have you done?' "'And Jesus answered, "'My kingdom is not of this world. "'If my kingdom were of this world, "'my servants would fight "'so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. "'But now my kingdom is not from here.' Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Now for you Bible students, between verse 38 and... And verse 39 is the time where Jesus is sent to Herod from Pilate. Pilate is a consummate politician, and he really doesn't want to deal with this. And so he says, I find no fault in him, but doesn't release him. Sends him to Herod to see if Herod will take care of it. And that's found in another gospel. Herod sends him back to Pilate, and that's where verse 39 comes up. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews, and they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. And Barabbas was a robber. So we have quite a few trials going on, a lot of information in just a short amount of verses. The first trial, the first presentation between, before Annas and Caiaphas was his religious trial, and that was before the group known as the Sanhedrin. If you're writing that down, it's S-A-N-H-E-D-R-I-N, the Sanhedrin. Let me give you a little background. The Sanhedrin was the supreme court of the Jews and was composed of 71 members. Within its membership included Sadducees, Pharisees, and scribes. All were experts in the law, the the Torah, the law of God. They were experts in law and respected men and elders among their community. Any vacancies in the court were filled by the present high priest of the day. Facing, they sat in a semicircle. In such a way that each member could see each other as they were hearing the testimony. And facing that semicircle was a group of rabbi students, and they would sit there and have the opportunity to to dialogue and even defend the person that was there. The official meeting of the Sanhedrin was in an area known as the Hall of the Hewn Stone, which was in the temple precincts. And the decisions of the Sanhedrin were not valid unless it was reached at a meeting held in that place. So they couldn't have the meeting anywhere. It had to be in the temple precincts. The court could not meet at night, which makes this meeting illegal. It was unjust and illegal. They couldn't meet at night, but we learn it's very early in the morning when he leaves because the meeting had just done. So they couldn't meet at night, and witnesses were to be examined separately And the evidence that was given must be valid and agree in every detail. Each individual member of the Sanhedrin was to give their verdict separately, beginning with the youngest and going on to the oldest. And if a verdict was the verdict of death, a night must elapse before it was carried out so that the court might have a chance to change its mind in its decision toward mercy. Jesus is being thrown around between the religious courts... The ones that have planned and plotted to take advantage, take him out. He has to sit before them. And then, knowing that they don't, Rome had taken the right of capital punishment away from their subjects. Capital punishment could only be enforced by the Roman government. And the Jewish people, the leaders, know this. And they send him where? To Pilate. To a politician who at this time, according to history, is already in trouble. Pilate had one responsibility and one responsibility only, and that was to keep the peace. Keep everybody happy and keep the peace. That's all he needed to do, is appease the people so that there would be no reports going back to Rome that Pilate wasn't doing his job. Up to this point, history records at least two major uprisings under the leadership of Pilate, which means his job was on the line. This was his last chance. And the last thing he wanted was for the Jews to start another uprising and send word to Rome. And not only would he lose his oversight, he could very well lose his life. This is life and death for Pilate. So Pilate examines him and talks to him. As he is asking these questions, notice in verse thirty. 29. Notice verse 29. Pilate went out to them and asked what the accusations were. Luke tells us what the accusations were. These false accusations. Luke 23 tells us number one, Luke Jesus was being accused of subverting the nation with his followers, which was false. Number two, Jesus was accused of forbidding people to pay taxes, which again was false. The third accusation that came against Jesus was that he claimed to be Christ, the king. That was true. Except that it was twisted by them to say that his declaration of being a king was intended to subvert the Roman Caesar and the king on the throne. And it was a complete fabrication of the facts, these false accusations. And one of the things that Jesus teaches us that is very relevant to our lives is Jesus, perfect man, God in human flesh, never committed a sin, even found faultless by Pilate, a human court, did everything right, lived his life the best way a man could possibly live, and people still accused him of egregious sins he, he did everything right and there were still accusations it's so demonic accusation false accusations that's what the bible really declares that the devil is the accuser of the brethren who accuses us day and night before the throne of god so you know we we'll never be able to stand uh, in the shoes of jesus in the sense where we could say man we are perfect we never done anything wrong we, we aren't uh, of course, we've all uh, all made mistakes. We've all said things. We've all done things. But, but, but you can get to that place sometimes in your life. Where, where you look at your decisions, you go, you know, I did the best that I could. I follow what I believe the Bible to say. And, and I made this decision. And I, I walked by faith along this path. And still have accusations come towards you. So don't be surprised by them. Don't be surprised by them and neither cave under them. Jesus stood strong and he continued on answering and giving Pilate. He's given an opportunity to share the gospel with Pilate really. Notice verse 34. Jesus gives his insight to Pilate's heart. We wouldn't be able to see this but Jesus is always able to get to the heart. He says are you speaking for yourself on this or did others tell you this about me? Are you just hearing things? Are you you asking me for your own spiritual life? Or are you asking me for your political life, is really what Jesus is saying. Are you really interested if I'm a king, Pilate? Are you really interested in what I have to say? Are you really interested in what I've been doing the last three years? Or are you just asking to save yourself? And I love how Jesus is able to do that in our lives. Anytime we are truly opening the Bible with someone and helping them with an issue in their life anytime we get to the core of it you just know the holy spirit is there because a lot of times you come looking for help uh, and you might be looking for help or you might even be wanting to give help and and you fail to get to the root of the issue and it takes time to get to the root of the issue if you don't get to the root of the issue it's going to come back and it's going to come back worse than it was before you sought help like, like you come in and you're a married couple and you're like, well, we have marriage problems. And, and if we're not careful, we may just discern, well, your marriage problems aren't, you're, you're not talking. You're not talking to one another. And if we can just get you talking to one another, then everything will be good. But that's not the root of the issue. The root of the issue is pride. Or the root of the issue is arrogance. Or the root of the issue is a lack of repentance or a lack of forgiveness. And if we can get to that, then man, you'll communicate just fine. But if we just gloss over, that's why there'll be times when, you are, when you're in a Bible study and you just feel pricked to the heart. It's a normal Bible study and you wonder if everyone's feeling the same way as you are. But what's happening? God is dealing with your heart. It's not merely in anymore just an accumulation of knowledge now. It's an accumulation of spiritual growth right in the midst of Bible study and all that God has for you. So here he is. Jesus gets right to, the, right to the heart of the issue with Pilate. And Pilate tells him in verse 35, it's, a, it's political. Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus begins to speak to him about his kingdom being not of this world. Verse 36 is Jesus really saying, you know, if my kingdom was of this world, we would have already overthrown Rome. It would have been already done. But that's my kingdom's not of this world. And then Pilate asked him straight up in verse 37, are you a king? And Jesus says, yeah, I am. That's why I was born. But that was the confusion. The confusion with the religious leaders of the day, the confusion of those listening. They immediately associated king with kingdom and a kingdom with overthrowing and there can't be competing kingdoms in the physical world. But Jesus in his first coming came to do a spiritual work in establishing his kingdom in the hearts and lives of people. So in a very real way, we know that the kingdom exists on the earth today, spiritually. It exists in the heart and the lives of anyone that is submitted to the king. Where where the king is submitted to, the kingdom is established. And yet Jesus promises even a more fulfillment, a deeper fulfillment of his kingdom in his second coming where he will literally return to rule and reign for a thousand years. He first came as a lamb, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But in his second coming, he'll come as a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah to rule and reign for all of eternity. Pilate asked a question in verse 38. He said, what is truth? What is truth? Pilate, like many today was at a place where this question was being answered with all sorts of philosophical ideas it seems like everyone has a everyone has a definition of what is truth and and has a creed that they live their life by or a vision or a vision statement of how they base their family or how they base their life and what truth they base their lives upon truth in jesus day by the greeks they said that truth was in a worship of many gods that there wasn't exclusive to just one god that that truth was found in reason and knowledge and logic that was god to the epicureans of jesus day they believed in the god worshiping the god of partying that was their thing they had a saying Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And that's how they live their life. The Stoics in Jesus' day, their definition of truth was to stay away from both extremes of pain or pleasure and to have a life without emotion. That's truth. Truth is found in the gods. Truth is found in partying or in in an ever-increasing seeking of happiness. Or the exact opposite, the avoidance of pleasure or pain, which means you're going to avoid relationships and investing in one another, which is so much the source of pleasure and pain in our lives as God designed it. Today, we have scientists telling us that there's truth in evolution, and we have Pop culture icons trying to determine through their songs or through their movies defining truth for us. I was on my way to church last night, and in front of me was a SUV with about 10 different bumper stickers on her window. And through each one of those bumper stickers, I could tell what truth she believed in. She was telling me what her deal was, she was communicating to me what philosophy. What philosophy of life that she lived by. And it was more than anti-God in her philosophy. Marie and I were coming in together and our hearts broke for her. How many of us were in a very similar place? Well, we lived by some creed or by some God of our own making instead of truth. The definition of truth is not a what, but a who. Jesus said very dramatically... And emphatically, in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If we were to paraphrase what Jesus is saying, he's saying, look, eternal life is only found in me. And it comes from my Father. And any other quest for truth, any other quest for life, any other quest for meaning will be fruitless and false Because I'm the only way, and I'm the only truth. And I'm the only source of... I am life itself. Pilate asks, what is truth? And then sends Jesus out again to the Jews, saying that I find no fault in him at all. In between verse 38 and 39 I mentioned is the trial of Herod. Where he sends him to Herod. Herod doesn't want anything to do with this. Sends him back to Pilate. And then verse 39 but I have a custom. Now, I find it interesting that John, in his, his writing inspired by the Holy Spirit, that he puts it like this. If you read it straight through, it says, I find no fault in him at all, but you have a custom. You know, whenever you're talking to somebody and they're, they've got a lot of superlatives and a lot of things, you know, they're like, hey, I think you're the best. I like you. I like what you're doing. I, I like everything about you. But... Listen carefully after the but, okay? Because after the but is what they really mean. You can catch your own self doing it. Uh, You may find yourself using a lot less buts uh, in life. And just saying it like it is. And here's Pilate. I find no fault in him, but I'm a coward. And I don't want to deal with this. And we do have that custom. So why don't you guys make the choice? But see, we know, you go, Ed, how can you say he's such a coward? Well, I can say for a lot of different reasons. But one of them is, is that he had Jesus and Barabbas and many other people he could have chosen. But he includes Jesus because he doesn't want to deal with it. And he wants, just like the Jews want to wash their hands of this and blame it on the Roman government, the Roman government want to wash their hands on it and blame it on the Jews. And it was sin that hung Jesus on the cross. You and me. I find no fault in him, but we have a custom. To appease the Jewish people, there was an agreement at the time of Passover to release a prisoner to them. It was intended to be a gesture of goodwill from Rome to the Jews. And Pilate sees this as the opportunity to get out. You know Barabbas' name? You know what it means? It means son of the father. That's what the prefix bar means in the Hebrew. When you see that translated bar, it means son of... And Abbas is a reference to father. He's the son of the father. So here you have the true son of God, the true son sent by the father next to a son of a human father and they don't choose him. It says that Barabbas was a robber. And we kind of think, well, you know, he's just a bank robber, I guess. Or, you know, he liked to steal stuff. That, that's not the strongest word they could have used. To, today, I think what the word we would use in our culture and context today is that Barabbas was a terrorist. He was a zealot. He was an insurrectionist. He was everything that they accused Jesus of times a thousand. He was a murderer, a destroyer of families. So opposite of Jesus Christ While Barabbas tried to destroy, Jesus came to rescue and save. Barabbas wanted to see God's kingdom, but through violence and force and war and death. Jesus came as a man of peace, bringing forth his kingdom through love, joy, and ultimately his resurrection. While Barabbas was a thief, stealing much more than goods. And of course, chapter 19, verse 1. The very next verse, Pilate took Jesus and beat him, which will get into our time here going forward With all the cries of crucify him, crucify him. I find no fault in him. It's always good to stand up for what is right and to take a stand for what is right no matter what the cost is. It's always good to, to stay strong in the power of the Lord, especially when you're disappointed in yourself. When you know you you don't measure up to some of your own expectations for yourself, knowing and being reminded that God's not disappointed in you or me. He knows that we're just dust. He knows that we're weak and frail. He knows one of the things we forget when we're disappointed in ourselves is how far we've come. I mean, look how far you've come. Look what God has done. Look what he has done throughout the years. You know, whether you were born into a a godly family and there's a heritage of godliness that you go to your grandparents and great-grandparents, or you're the first generation that's turned their hearts toward Jesus Christ, we, we have to remember what God has done and continues to do, that he's not done with you yet. And that all through these trials, Jesus faced that which was unjust, that which was unfair, so that you and I might have real life in him.
1: This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. He's leading a study from the Gospel of John. You can find our studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And they're accessible through our app, too. Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. And look for us on Apple Podcasts. Pastor Ed Taylor, our pick of the month is The Case for Christmas, and we've been offering it in December for quite a few years now for very good reason. We want to encourage our listeners to give this away to their unbelieving friends or family members.
0: Isn't that right? Well, Larry, every Christmas, every December, we make Case for Christmas the pick of the month. It's small, it's relatively inexpensive, and it should go in every package, every gift, Having some, have some ready at your work, have some ready in your car. This is a resource. Everybody's talking about Christmas, mentioning the name of Jesus. Some are being very critical. Some are, uh, you know, be very skeptical. And this little book is the tool. Buy them by the stack and give them away in Jesus' name and pray and watch God use it in a wonderful way. The Case for Christmas by Lee Strobel.
1: Request the case for Christmas at our e-store, calvaryco.store. Pick up a few extra copies to give them away as the Lord leaves this Christmas. That's calvaryco.store. Also, remember that it's through your support that we're able to bring Abounding Grace to the radio every day. With your help, countless thousands of people are hearing the truth of God's Word all over the nation and the world at a time in human history when they really need to hear it, too. We can be reached toll-free at 877-30-GRACE, or you can make a donation online at aboundinggraceradio.com. We'll set aside another half hour to join us tomorrow When we'll dig deeper into the Gospel of John with Pastor Ed Taylor here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace.